Thank you, Paul. And Mimi and well, thank you, gals. So, how's everyone this day today? So, yeah, good. <laughs> Why being put right back on the spot? There we go. That's all right. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> all right. Well, summer's, I think, finally getting upon us, right? Um, <clears throat> I was trying to think about where our kind of our study that we're engaged in, where it kind of began, and I'll bet you can't tell me either, because I couldn't think, I couldn't think of it. Excuse me? I thought it was Seeking God. Yeah, and even before, that, that was, yeah, even before that. No one knows, right? It's okay, at least you took them, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things, the thing that sticks out to me, and I don't know if exactly this is, because it's, you know, things should build on one another. I mean, it should just continue to stack on top of one another and make more sense all the time. I mean, that's really why we study God's Word. Um, one of the things, though, that, I, that the verse that stuck out to me that resonated with me today, that it seemed like, at least presently where we were coming from, was John 10.10. 10. Is that right? Yeah. Nice. Boy, that, woo, all right. That's right, standing on the promise. Let's go back to John 10.10 for a moment. And, and then we actually, I have a text um, that I wanted to build into. We'll be reading that in a second. But John 10.10, we'll start in verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus' own words. And, and literally, that's, it, it describes for us what the enemy is out to do. He's, he's, he's aggressive. He's active. And last week we talked, uh, remember where we were at last week? You don't remember where we were last week. Okay, well, very good. In your notes, you'll find it was in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses probably 7 through 9. Okay? And it describes Satan there as what? What is he described at in First uh, Peter chapter 5? As a, a roaring, lying, an adversary seeking whom he may devour. Let's go to John chapter 10 and verse 9. Jesus saying this, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill... And to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Literally, and he goes on to say, I'm the good shepherd. Right there you see the, the, the sense of the contrast that Satan is very, very aggressive. He's, his whole mission is to kill, destroy, and to steal. He does that. Now, he can't, he can't steal what God has given to you. And that is your salvation. He can't steal that. You are sealed with the seal of redemption, the Holy Spirit which lives within you. Satan has no power, no right to tell Satan to leave. I'm sorry, to tell the Holy Spirit to leave. It's not his property. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know you're bought with a price? You are not your own? Think of it. You're God-purchased property. But he can do some things. He can do some very nasty things in the sense of stealing your testimony. He can steal your joy. He can destroy things that are close to you. There's a lot of things he's, he's capable of doing. And he's, sought it, he's seen as a roaring lion. Well, and that's what we talked about last week. So I was, I was just mulling this around. Last week, what was just a quick synopsis of our notes last week. Um, let's see, I got, what was the week before that? Oh, yeah, we were, we were finishing up in the sense of 
uh, finding or doing God's will in the life. The things that we know about God's will, and there was a list of about six of them. Help me through. The number one, get saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, you need to. That's the first thing. That's God's will for your life. He wants you to have him. I mean, that's why Jesus died. Isn't that awesome? Jesus Christ died for you. If you're here today and you don't know that, I'm here to say the best news that you've ever heard is right now, right in front of you. Jesus Christ died for you. And there's no one else who can whip the sin problem. He conquered it. He was resurrected from the dead. What an awesome thing. And that's God's will that you get saved. Now, after that, it's also his will that you be filled with the Spirit. Walking close enough to be continually immersed, if you will. And the more that you become like someone, I'm sorry, the more that you love someone, the more you become like that person. Isn't it? it's, it's, it's amazing. And so as we get filled with the Spirit, the more that we are in tune with Jesus Christ, the more, the more we become like Him and the more we become filled with the Spirit. Who lives within us, by the way. When you get saved, brand new possession. You know, if you've done it, I was just thinking of this right now. Uh, if you've done a balance sheet, Paul, you've probably seen a couple of those in the bank, huh? You got the, you got the assets, you got the liabilities, and usually the liabilities are a little stronger than the assets in some cases. That's why we have to borrow money, right? Isn't that the deal? But, but literally, a balance sheet, it, it lists your assets and it lists your liabilities. When you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit that lives within you. In several places it talks about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. In uh, Ephesians it talks about that he is the seal unto the day of redemption. Uh, day of your redemption. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I mean, do you think that would, would that, how would that work on my balance sheet, Paul? <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Valueless. I mean, God is in. It works for me. <laughs> it works for you. That's all, man. But do you see what I'm saying? There's things that we sometimes don't even take into account possession-wise that, now, now he... He wants all of us. That's the key. In fact, that's the next part in, in activating your, your life in being in God's will. That is to be sanctified. That's to be, the word means to be set apart. You're, you're different now because God owns you. He's bought you. He's redeemed you. And you're set apart for his purposes. That's a day by day. Sometimes it's moment by moment, isn't it? really is it's a moment by moment thing and that leads me to number four which i'm stalling because i can't remember it submit i submit to you that submission is really that's that's the key and to be submissive to god we talked a lot about that actually being submissive to him and his and his will and then number five is it suffering oh there's one we don't want to talk about very much but literally it's just i think of this some of the most precious metals known to mankind the only way to make them pure is to heat them up enough so the impurities rise to the top and you can take them off and you have the good stuff left. Literally, it's the same in our lives. Turn up the heat. Remember those, remember that, uh, those of you, maybe they don't do that anymore in science classes anymore. We had the Bunsen burner, right? And how we didn't blow things up, I don't know. But on our lab table in the chemistry place, it, it had these little valves right in the table where you could plug in your Bunsen burner, turn it on and flip it on and you got heat, you got something going on. And we could heat things up, right? And it was amazing what heat does. It can't have the opportunity to remove impurities. And that's what God does. He turns the heat up us sometimes to literally allow us to become more of what he wants us to be. Isn't that good? What if, what if you had everything your way all the time? You would be one nasty little spoiled pumpkin, wouldn't you? It'd be a mess. That's right. That's right. And in fact, Jesus Christ said about rich people, what did he say? It's harder for a rich man to go... Th- to be saved, to go to heaven than it is for, a, for the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, I don't know if you've tried that lately. That's difficult. And you know what? It's impossible for both aside from God. 
If Jesus Christ hadn't died, there isn't anyone that would make it there. And then the last one, number six was to be thankful. It's the key. I really, I, I think thankfulness in your, no matter how tough it is, no matter how difficult, especially it ties up really nicely with suffering. When's the last time you thank God for the suffering you're enduring? Thank you. You don't need to answer right now. You put your hand, you should have raised it, but you didn't. But understandably, thankfulness in any situation literally puts you in the right perspective to be ready to receive God's blessings in your life. Now, those are things. Then we answer that ultimately saying, what is God's will for your life? Who should I marry? Where should my career choice be? Where should I live? You know what? When you're living in those six key components and criteria, anywhere you desire, because he has your will. I'm sorry. His will is in your will, and then he will take you wherever you desire. Quite honestly. Isn't that, isn't that cool to know? He's going to take you right exactly where you want to go when you're in his will with all of the other things that he, we find in his word. Now, sometimes we jump that, don't we? We don't want to know about those six things. I want to know what should I, where should I be? Well, aside from doing those six things, you couldn't possibly know. In fact, you'll probably get it wrong. But knowing those six things, you can literally go where your heart is desiring. Isn't that cool? That is so good. Now, so then last week we followed up and you're saying, are you really ever going to read your text? Well, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. So last week we went and we talked about, well, to do God's will, we have to be very... Remember that word? I mean, I fought for it too, didn't I? I, I mean, I, now you're going to have to go to your notes because you forgot it. I didn't think you'd ever forget it because I made you to the very end wondering what, what, what was it. To be actively engaged in doing God's will, we have to be committed. How many, were, how many of you were committed this week to doing God's will? Excellent. Not one hand went up. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't allow enough time. But I, I know you are, actually, quite honestly. And the thing about commitment is, is you probably never really get to a full commitment, isn't it? There's always, there's another, there's always another level. But commitment, so I'm laying around with that. I'm looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 we went to last week. And there was four, I think four or five... I'm struggling right now. I remember the first one. There was four things that we need to very actively address in seeking God's will and, and to accomplish that and also to put at bay the sense of this roaring, advers- this roaring lion that's our adversary. Remember those? What was number one? Humility. Humility. I think that's the perfect place for everything to start. When we're humble... When we're understanding of how limited we really are in the sense of the overall scheme of things, it puts us in the perfect position to get ready to get right with God. And then we followed humility with trusting or casting your care on him. We talk about casting. It's like throwing a blanket on a horse. You're throwing it on there, casting. When's the last time you literally just threw your cares, the concern that you have on Jesus Christ? He's there. He's ready to take them no matter how serious they are. It's just like, and that literally is trusting Jesus Christ. Number three, to be very sober. I mean, let's take this very seriously. And we found those in 1 Peter chapter 5. And then lastly, it was be alert. Be alert. Today, it's just like a lot of, uh, I'm thinking of fellow, I'm going to even say a lot, in a lot of churches today, it's like we're, we're in the fog. We can't even see what's going on around us. And he's very, so, you know, I took that and I'm thinking now, you know, those things aren't even easy to do, are they? I mean, do you, do you see it? It's almost like you'll almost be overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Yes, you have. I'm going to raise my hand for you, right? Yes? Yeah, two hands go up. To be overwhelmed. And, and so the thing, I, my takeaway was, what is, it, what is it we really need to engage all of this? And this word kept banging around in my mind all week. 
And even today, it was there, and I just couldn't quite get. Have you ever been there where you just can't, it just doesn't quite resonate? That was 12.30 today. Just wouldn't quite come together. And I'm, and I'm working, and the word I was looking for was courage. It takes courage to do this, doesn't it? To be committed. Sometimes it takes courage. That wasn't the right word, though. Just kept banging around, banging around, banging around. It's 1 o'clock now. I'm a little closer, but it's just not really not there. But you know, we really, when, you're, when we're humble and we're trusting and we're sober and we're, and the sober in the sense of very self-disciplined, very, very key on, shall we say. I mean, you're, you're, you're I kind of like the word focused and alert. You know what? When we're in, in that, when that whole thing, it's, it's not our strength. It's not our courage because then I want, who are we depending on? That's right. So now let's go to the text, and we're like 15 minutes in. Isn't that something? We haven't even prayed yet. Let's go to, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's the one that came to my mind was this verse, and we're going to build on it. Ephesians chapter 6, Lord willing. And Paul is closing his letter out to the church at Ephesus, and he closes it this way in verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, in other words, they're probably saying, man, there's been a lot of stuff you've told us to get done. And he says this, finally, my brethren, he's speaking to Christians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Yeah, we need courage. We need strength. We need protection. But it's literally the strength is in him and the power of his might. And he says, he goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that, utter, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And may God add a special blessing to reading of His Word. Let's just pause for prayer before we go any further. Father God, thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the opportunity we have to study it today, being unpersecuted. But, Father, there may come a time, as there is in many places in the world, in which we call this world earth, part of this world system in which Satan is very actively engaged in using it against Christianity. But, Father, we, would, we know there may be that time. But for now, how could we be more thankful than to be studying your word together in unison? To be in a place that we're gathered to encourage one another, to exhort, as you said in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. But, Father, now for these moments before us, we would ask that you'd take us where you want us to be. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, that, Father, relationally we would never have been to a plane that we are today, seeing you personally even deeper and richer than we've ever experienced because of the power of the Word of God. And Father, we thank you for the gift that you gave to us through Jesus Christ, the fact that we can have eternal life because of what was accomplished. On Calvary's tree, when he said it was finished, the penalty phase was done. You proved that the power was broken when you raised Jesus, the Son of God,
from that dark, lowly grave. And he sits on high today, actively engaged as Satan is accusing the brethren, saying, that was paid for. He is mine. I bought him. Father, what a tremendous thing our salvation is. We thank you that it's eternal. We thank you, Father, that you designed it before even the creation of the world, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1. But now again, we trust you with these moments as we look to seeing the protection, the courage, and the strength that comes from being in Jesus. Now, thank you for what you're going to do in these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Strength. Strength, that's the thing that just seems to weigh on us is we never have enough strength. Have you ever been without strength, totally without strength? You just can't even get going. <laughs> They're absolutely true, isn't it? And, 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 you're, and you're helpless. You're literally helpless. Now, that's exactly what Satan, as a roaring lion, an adversary, as it describes him in 1 Peter chapter 5, that's what he really, he wants you to be feeling totally and completely helpless. And that's what we are when we're on our own, when we're by ourselves. Now, he actually uses three bridges, if you will. There's three bridges of which he uses the world system to take and steal and destroy, as we talked about John 10.10. 10. And we, we find those, I'm, I'm not going to go there today, but in 1 John chapter 2, there are three bridges of which Satan is using to try to tie you and to bring you away from Jesus Christ, to steal and destroy. And what's the third one? Steal, destroy, and kill. He's wanting to take, and what are those three? The pride of life? I'm going backwards. Let's go back. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You will find every sin wrapped up in those three, if you will, bridges. He wants you to come across to his side. And it's interesting. When we sin, we've proven who we've trusted. We trust something all the time. Some people say, I can't trust God. I just can't trust him. It's, it, he's, I can't see him. I can't see him. Why would you trust something you can't see? You trust a lot of things that you can't see, don't you? You trust a lot of things. And it's interesting when we sin, especially as Christians, what we've proven now is the fact that we've trusted Satan rather than God. Satan's biggest lie, the biggest thing that he's really trying to propagate across all of the world, especially around Christendom, is the fact that God can't be trusted. God doesn't look out for you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. So you can't trust him. Trying to cast doubt. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. It's amazing how predictable he is, isn't he? I mean, he doesn't even... No new games. It's the same strategy. You can't trust God. Did he really say? Doubt. Doubt. It's always wanting to, to deceive. Now, one of the things we want to be careful about in the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 6 today is the fact that we are not to be Satan assaulters. Don't go chasing after him. What are we told to do? Flee. In, in, in the sense of, in the sense, in, yeah, yeah, run, flee. Especially sexual immorality, we are told to get away. But when you put on the whole armor of God, what, oh, I gave that away too. I was going to ask, I was going to ask, what's your favorite piece of armor to put on? And you would have replied something and I would have said, that's the wrong answer. But now since I gave the answer away, the only really acceptable answer is to put on the entire package of what he's provided by the way there's not one of those things that you provided except you need to put it on you need to put it on now what was the question that i asked first oh what now describe for me just in general we read those six verses six or seven verses 
What does that, do you see, you get a visual. When you read things, the way our mind is interpret, interprets information, there's something goes on in the screen or the whiteboard of your mind. And when you lay out those, each and every one of those, those um, points of armor or those instruments of armor, what is your mind, what is it doing? What is it thinking? What is it seeing? Total submission. I like that, actually. And what did you say? A soldier. Yeah, a Roman soldier. And it would have been very acute to the time in that day and age because everybody knew that the, the, the soldier was a Roman soldier. And in your mind, and I don't know what they look like in your mind, it's probably everyone sees sort of a mind, a little different looking soldier. Okay? But one of the things that seems very, 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 very real is that this soldier is not on the assault he is to stand firm. Defense. Defense. Protection. This is for, in other words, we're not supposed to go running after demons and running after Satan. When you start doing that, remember those, remember those uh, seven sons of Sceva back in Acts? They tried to go throw some demons out. Uh, we know Paul and we know whoever, was it Peter? I don't remember. We don't know you. And they beat them up. I mean, that's a whole world that's, Tell you what, that's, you don't mess around there. When God in the Old Testament said, stay away from occultism, stay away from mysticism, stay away from those things, it was for our good. You don't mess around with that stuff. But I can tell you this, when you put on the whole armor of God, you can take any assault, any onslaught from the enemy, from Satan or his demons, because God said you are safe and protected there. Isn't that good news? That's awesome. But I want to make sure that we're not, we're not going to be demon chasers. We are really literally to be in the defensive mode, putting on the whole armor of God. Now, he goes on to say that beyond that, well, in fact, let's, let's look at verse 11 to back up what we just said. We'll start in verse 10 again. Finally, at the end of my letter to you folks, to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to be strong. Just be strong in the Lord. Did you see it? It's not your strength in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that why? Why? That you may be able to, did you see it? Stand against the wiles or the devices, the deception of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, oftentimes where you get a sense of, what should I say? Uh, pushback or the sense of uh, enemy fire, oftentimes it comes from another person, right? I mean, we see it in another human being. See, that is not what that's saying. What it's saying is the spiritual wickedness is in places that literally people are used. And today in Washington, D.C., I guarantee you, the, demo- the demons are very actively using the bodies of, of man, men and women. Actively. Because the the horrifying filth and stench of lies that Satan has implanted and impregnated within these people is amazing. We don't kill infants after they're born. That's not of God. It's not about reproductive rights. Do you you see all of them? They're literally from the pit of hell. But see, what we see names and faces, that's not what this is about. This is about literally where that comes from and is coming from those principalities and powers. Satan is the second strongest individual in the universe. 
and beyond. Whatever, whatever we can even think of the universe being, whatever it is God allows us to see, he is number two. That's how strong he is. In fact, Michael can't handle him. In fact, do you remember, and I'm saying this to say sometimes we are a little flippant in the sense of the strength of the unseen spiritual world. Do you remember in Daniel? And Daniel's praying a prayer. And it takes 14 days for the prayer to come back because literally God enlisted an angel to send the message to Daniel. And he was withstood by an opposite or a demon that they were doing battle for a period of time. And finally, God, uh, you better send some more recruits. Let's get this message through. Think of that. Do you see what I'm saying? It's nothing to be messing around with. But it's bigger and beyond the sense of what we see as physical bodies in men and women. Now, when you open your body, when essentially when you achieve, or what should I not achieve, when you pursue after occultism, Look at Saul for a moment. I'm not talking Saul who became Paul. I'm talking about Saul who literally lost his life, not trusting God. Before he was slain of his own sword, in the heat of the battle, he had consulted with none other than what he had tried to eradicate in Israel, and that was the witch of Endor. He had went to get a future reading from a witch you see? You don't mess around with that stuff. But you're safe. You're safe when you put on the whole armor of God. You're protected. Now, he starts off then in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Again, do you see it? Withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. You just see this continuous. Stand, 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 stay firm. So he starts off with the first one. He says, to stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, uh, in True Seekers Thursday, we were, we were using, uh, I don't know where we were at, but we were talking about to gird up your loins. Now, that's not something that we go, you probably haven't went into the bank. T- Paul, have you heard anybody come in and say, you know, I was girding up my loins yesterday. And, uh, <laughs> right? What does that mean, to gird up your loins? Actually, pulling it all together. One of the things that now, let's go back to our Roman soldier as he's in your mind. Let's pull him out and let's 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 look at him. Okay. One of the first things you'd know about this Roman soldier is not even being a soldier that they would have worn a garment that would have been a tunic. It would be very much dress-like. It'd have a hole for the head, hole for the arms, and it just did what a dress did. It's it's so unmanly, isn't it? That's what you. That's what the men are thinking here right now, right? That's what I, I want a tunic. I want a Levi tunic. <laughs> yeah, let's see that work out for you. Well, one of the things now, let's think about that for a moment. Now, let's go. Now, let's let's engage in the sense of a battle. Here's Mr. Tunic. I don't care if he's got a Wrangler tunic on. This is not going to work out, is it? Have you ever seen a Wrangler tunic? Neither have I, but I thought it sounded good. So so first now he's got to be thinking ahead. That's the other thing in spiritual warfare. Be thinking ahead. So one of the first things he's going to do is he's going to take that tunic, and that, we were talking about Elijah, I remember that. And in fact, he, he girded up his loins and took off and ran, okay? So he, he would take this long, flowing Wrangler tunic, and he would pull it up and put it where? In his belt. Now he's ready for anything. He's ready for anything. He's free to move. He's in a good position to handle anything that comes at him because he's free. Can you imagine if he didn't do that? You can let your imagination roll for a minute. 
So now what we're coming back to is what Paul says in regards to this. He says, having your loins girt about or the middle part of your body, if you will, girt about with truth, having on I'm sorry, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, that device that we would use to hold the tunic in would have been a, a belt or a girdle, depending upon. Again, now that doesn't really, uh, doesn't seem exactly for our Roman soldier. Yeah, he's got his girdle and he's girding up his loins. That's where the girds, girdle. What did you get? That was, yeah, isn't that something? We got it. We got it. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. But, but the point of the matter is, is that's what holding, holds it all together. And a belt typically would have been about six inches wide, would have around their midsection. It would have been a place that they could. Now, there's other things that the girdle or the I'm going to call it a belt. I'm just it just doesn't seem the right thing for me to call it a girdle. I'm big. I'm good with a belt, right? So it was rather large. But one of the other things is that you may or may not know is it also had a place for. We're going to talk about the breastplate, and that's the part that goes over what we'll be talking about in a moment. But it also would have had a place where it could be attached to the belt to hold that in place so it wouldn't flop around. He's, you see, this is the thing: the belt that holds everything together. Right now, um, well, there's some people if they don't have a belt on, things aren't going to stay where they're supposed to be, right? Exactly. Thank you. That's as far as we need to go. But, but you understand, the other thing now, here's the other thing, is the belt also had the capability to hold a sheath for a sword, a scabbard, if you will. There was something of which, and all, you see, all of the things were tied together with the belt. And in this case, he says, truth. Isn't that absolutely true? Do you see that's why Satan has tried to erode the sense of the value of truth, trying to make truth unknowable? We've been talking a lot about that in Truth Seekers. Postmodernism said there is no truth. There is no truth. You can't know truth. Is that true? No. Then there must, they couldn't possibly say that's true then if there's no truth. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, just, it's just a fallacy, the whole thing. But as soon as we allow truth to erode in the sense of its trueness, everything falls apart. That's right. It, it just falls apart. And that's where Satan has been so effective. Now, I'm not just talking. We are talking to Christendom, to Christianity. These are Christians. These are those that have trusted Jesus Christ. I want to be very careful to say that. This pieces of armor, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, they are of absolutely no value to you whatsoever because you don't know Jesus. That's first and foremost. You've got to become at peace with him. Okay? But if you don't know him, just hang around because we're going to talk after we get done. But here's the point. Even the sense in a land, in society, a world system in which Satan is so actively involved in trying to destroy, to steal, and to kill. He's using that system. And one of the things that's the most effective for him is to make sure there is nothing that is, quote, truth. Paul can have his truth. Lois can have her truth. I can have my truth. Tony can have it, and you can all have your own truth. As long as you don't hurt one another, we're okay. So 2 plus 2 can equal 5. 2 plus 2 can equal 10. 2 plus 2 can equal nothing. Two can two, do you see what I'm saying? That's ridiculous. But all of that is held together in truth. As soon as we throw truth away, everything falls apart. And that's even deeper here because one of the things, I think it is more so, um, is it's not just a matter of just truth in the sense of content. Listen carefully. This belt of righteousness, I'm sorry, this, this belt of truth is not just about content because we're talking about one offensive weapon and this is what we're getting to in a moment, and that is the word of God, which is truly truth. You see, that takes care of truth in the sense of content. 
I think we're talking about just how we engage in behavior and how we go about it. Are we serious? Are we acting truthfully? Are we literally here because we're ready to do business and get it done and we know we're in a war? To act in truthfulness? That's something that, again, is vanishing rapidly across our country. To be literally truthful. Think of that for a moment. You, you know people and I know people. You talk to them and they'll say, that's the truth. And you know it's not the truth. But it was for them because it was in their best interests. Now, if that changes, then truth can change. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? That has to be eradicated, especially in a Christian's life. We need to be truthful about what's going on. And that is all held together then uh, with, the, with, this, with this belt of truth. Let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 for a moment in the sense of the sense of commitment and getting ready. Get your mind wrapped around this. Uh, where did I tell you to go? 1 Peter chapter 1, there we go, in verse 13. Again, in the King James, it says to wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Now that's even more interesting, but it's to get your mind ready. Get your mind ready. Uh, show me someone that's in... Uh, in athletics for a moment, one of the key things we know is if they go into a game or a run or something of which you're going to be competing, I will tell you how effective, oh, I, just, I just don't think I can do very good at this. You know, I just, just don't feel like I'm really ready for this. You know how effective that person's going to be? Zero. Exactly. You've got to get your head in the game. How many times? I remember. Now, we didn't have a very good athletic team, the ones that I used to play with. We were in Tuttle, North Dakota. We were the Tuttle Trojans. Go Trojans. I, I would not have wanted to be one of our cheerleaders. We were such losers. It was so bad. You know, go, go. We're number two. We're, you know, and there's still, you know, what could they do? But anyway, um, we had halftime. So many times the coach would say, get your heads in the game, Right. Now, actually, um, I just I read this little story here that, uh, this morning. Um, the grace to you. Who's, who's the teacher there? He's been there forever. Um, John MacArthur. John MacArthur. Have you ever heard of John MacArthur? He was he was reading. He was uh, talking about a, when he was running in in uh, track. I believe it was either high school or in no, it was in college, collegiate level. And he was playing baseball. That was what he did. And so track kept him in shape, if you will. And a lot of times athletics are that way. It just kind of keeps you tuned up. And he said they were running a 4 by 400 uh, a, a four-man relay. And he said he was probably the worst one, so he was number two. He said we'd take the one out that would catch the lead. Number two would sort of hold it together, and three was the better runner, and then four was the lightning guy, right? So he said, here we go. And it's, it's regional. He said it was, you know, it was a lot of, lot of activity. And... Uh, First guy takes off, and he was, no, guess where John was? He was the number two man, right? <laughs> Which, it was fine. And he said, our guy got a perfect handoff of the baton, and he said, I held on. I held even. And he said, it looked great for us. And the crowd is into it, and we hand off to this guy who just seemed a little lethargic today. And he named his name, I don't remember, it doesn't matter. The number three guy. And he's running, and all of a sudden, he slows down, just stops, and sits in the grass. Oh. <laughs> and John, being that open kind of a guy, <laughs> what's going on, right? He said, and are you ready? I don't know. I just don't feel like running today. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? His head wasn't in the game. It's like if, we're, if that's where our head's at and we're battling with Satan, we're going to get whooped because he's going to just keep launching stuff. He's constantly, we don't even know where he's at. Obviously, we can't see him. But you know what? You can see it afterwards. You can see him bombarding you. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. All those fiery darts, those sense of doubt and dissension and all of those things that literally 
cause us to doubt Jesus Christ, our God. And when he does that, he's effective. Because then we start to choose things that are not our best interest. In fact, let's go on to number two. Let's go on to number two. Oh, I've got one other. Uh, let's see, just a second. Uh, I've got 1 Timothy chapter 4 written down, but I didn't write down a verse. So let's keep going. Um, what do you love? I mean, that's another. Where's your head? What, what do you really love? I, I'm thinking uh, aloud. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. If it's not there, I'll, I'll get it quickly. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Yeah, there it is. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll look at verses 1 and 2. I, I think this really sets us up. Where's your love? Now, verse 1, chapter 3 says, If you then be risen with Christ. Stop for a moment. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, if you're really risen with Him, then this is for you. Pay attention. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not things on the earth. I think that really helps us to get our mind in the game. Thinking about from a spiritual aspect. Let's go back now to our text in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at the second piece of armor that we're told to put on, therefore. We find it in the last part of verse 14. It says, first of all, stand, therefore, remain standing, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate do? And again, here's our, here's our guy. If, if I was anywhere near artistic, I would draw our guy and we'd start to put things on. You know, we had, I had people that are very artistic and they could do that. They could, they could just bring it. You're going to have to work with this in your mind. This is going to be in your mind. We're going we're gonna to put this soldier together. Now, we've got a belt of truth. Now, he would probably have that belt irregardless. Do you see what I'm saying? How do you live your life even apart from having you? Are you truthful? If you don't have truth, if you're not truthful and sincere and having your mind ready, it's, it's a wreck, isn't it? It's a wreck. It's an absolute train wreck. But now he goes on the second way. He says the breastplate of righteousness. So I should at least write those things down. Number one was belt of truth. And the second one was the breastplate of righteousness. Not very good, is it, Tony? You have to have an imagination to even see what I'm writing now. Tell me about, about a breastplate. What does it do? What's its purpose? Protect your vital organs. Now, these are the things. For instance, you're in a battle, and you can, you know, you can kind of get, you know, you get some battle scars from haying and chopping this week. But they're just on, you know, what? It, from right, no big deal. But you get, you get hurt here. That's serious stuff. That's really. You got to protect those vital areas. Now, how do you do that? <laughs> you are so good. How do you bring it? With a breastplate. Yeah, exactly. You're right, by the way. And, and, and going on, he was going to tie it in now even from a spiritual standpoint. But first of all, before we do, what was a breastplate made of? Oh, just made out of paper, cheap stuff, you know. Thin plastic. Like, you remember the bread bags? You know what you guys have your bread in? Just, we, just, we just make that out of that. No, of course not. What did you make it out of? Thick hide. Thick hide. You could even have steel over the top of it. It could be encoded with a lot of different things. In fact, they would use the horn off of bulls sometimes. Very, very hard, dense material that could ward off attacks that would be coming from, for instance, we're going to be talking about this later, but there was a big sword. And I, I'm gonna, I, don't, I can't remember the, the name of it in Greek right now. But it was one of the, a four-footer, okay? A four-foot, think of that for a moment. Now, four-foot, that's probably right. That's, that's how long this sword is. So let's pick that thing up, Okay. And now that's a two-hander. That, and that guy is flailing it around. That's why you need something pretty heavy to protect your vital organs. Can you imagine? Oh, I forgot to bring my breastplate today. <laughs> you aren't going into the battle, right? 
or if you do, you're dead meat. Now, it says the breastplate, let's go to the spiritual aspect of what he's trying to get us. Now, take that Roman soldier and let's set him aside for a moment. The breastplate of righteousness. You show me a Christian that's sinning, actively engaged in sinning, I will show you someone that his vital, his or her vital organs are exposed to all. They are open to the enemy's assaults. That's why Jesus Christ, he went, in fact, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you're, if you're sinning, confess it. Get it right. You want short accounts on sin. Now, he's not asking for perfection. It's not, you, don't, you don't find right here in the Bible where he says you must be perfect. If you are, we're all losers. We're done. It's over. There's nothing. You, you, you can't possibly win. It's over. But he doesn't do it that way. When you're justified, that's when you're made right, declared not guilty by Jesus Christ because of what he did. You're trusting that. Then positionally, you've been placed into him. You receive the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian. You have eternal life. Does that mean Christians can't sin? Oh, I wish it was true, but you're so right. They can sin. In fact, they can sin a lot. And I'll tell you, a very ineffective, a very peace-robbed, joyless Christian is one that is engaged in sinful activity that is literally unrighteous. It's unhealthy. And it allows Satan to have a heyday, a heyday in destroying your life. And Paul is saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness will ward off all of those things. Because I'll tell you what, the vulnerability, maybe that's a word I should, I should even use more distinctly. When, when a Christian is sinning, he or she is vulnerable. I think I like that word better. Vulnerable. And you don't want to be vulnerable with Satan because he, what did, remember the four things? Be humble. This is a great place to be humble, right? Number two was trust or casting your cares on him. Number three, be sober, pay attention. And number three was to be alert, to be very focused. Does that sound like if we're living in sin, if we're being flippant, if we're, sounds like we're on the wrong page, aren't we? The vulnerability of a Christian that's actively sinning is horrible for that person's testimony and all of his life and families that are surrounding him. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hold your place in Ephesians. We'll be right back. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's look at verse 11. Now, it's interesting. You're going to find uh, that Paul uses the warrior uh, in, in... addressing Timothy here now, too, as he's mentoring him through a written letter. He says in verse 11, But thou, O man of God, Timothy, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Get away from those things, and what? Take righteousness. Take control of it. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Kind of bouncing around here a little bit. But I want to see what happens when you're vulnerable. When you don't take righteousness seriously. When you take grace flippantly. Something happens. In fact, it's stated here, and I know I'm jumping in contextually, but it does tell us, interestingly enough, when we are vulnerabilities through sinfulness, look at what it does for Satan. Verse 11, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his device. I'm going to say right now, you do not want to give Satan an advantage. 
You don't want to do that. It would be, you know, on the, what do they do on the golf course? How many of you guys play golf? Anybody? I don't know why this just came on my mind. A handicap, what does that mean? No golfers here at all? Zero? Oh, are you a golfer? That's okay, but you're going to be able to help us out, right? So a handicap is... Okay, so, and obviously, you, you start at the, I was going to say the freeway, but it's not that, it's the, um, the fairway. There we go, we're close. <laughs> do, do you see how so not golfy I am? I don't even know why I got this in, but anyway, um, I, played one, I played one game in Hawaii and loved it. It was awesome. I mean, we beat a bucket of balls, a friend of mine, and we go down there and we're on this. It's, I didn't want to have anybody play through us. That's another term I really didn't know, but I didn't want to see anybody see how bad I was. So we started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? And it was awesome. It was all by ourselves. We had this little golf cart, and they got GPS on there, and they tell you where to hit the ball and all of it. It was really cool, right? And so, obviously, the more strokes or the more hits you have to get in the hole, you know, it's usually should be less than 40. No, I'm kidding. It should be. You know. <laughs> but, but the point of the matter is, is that depending on your handicap, you know, there's a, and you have a par. And if you have a handicap in it, you have one more hit or two more hits to get to that point. Well, what I'm saying is, and I'm going to try to tie this back into Satan for just a second, if we can get back, and that is this. You don't want to give him any advantage. And the best way to do it, to be, to be vulnerable and to give him any kind of heads up, is to literally get sin in your life. Let sin, let sin stay in your life. I'm telling you what, confess it, get it out of there, and move on. God has made a provision. You know, it would be terrible if God said, I'm going to give you one chance. Now, if you were an angel, if you were an angel, you got one shot. You got one shot. Think of that. Satan flips out, lets pride take over, loses his way, and one-third of all of the angels became demons. They say they look into salvation with a great deal of mystery. They can't figure it out. Angels. You know why? They can't figure it out. Why would God let them have humans having a chance to get it wrong for a while? How many people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ more than one time? I know I did. I know I did. And do you see what I'm saying? From an angel's perspective, they got one chance. Follow Satan. I follow God. And you say, well, they know a lot. There's a lot of really smart people today that will not choose Jesus Christ. It's nothing to do with that, does it? Think of how gracious God has given us. Think of it. Don't let sin rule in your life. Let's keep going. Oh, there's one other one. One other. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. You're still there. Look at chapter 6, verse 14, in the sense of how could you be partners with unrighteousness? Chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now, sometimes we'll, we'll throw that in a perspective of the sense of partnerships of Christians and non-Christians, okay? Yeah, don't do that either. But one of the things that I'm even using today is the sense of how can we as Christians have communion or have a fellowship with sin in general. It's making us vulnerable and weak, isn't it? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let righteousness protect you. God knows best. Uh, Let's go to the third one, back to Ephesians. Are we moving quick enough? Oh, we're doing okay. It'll only only be like 6 or 7 o'clock tonight. Not bad at all. And you can, food's going to be going. It's all going to be good, right? And let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's look now at verse 15. So we have the, your, uh, the belt of truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. And number three, we have what? Shoes. 
of the preparation of the gospel. I'm going to just say of the gospel of peace. Let's read it now in verse 15. It says, uh, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, put some shoes on those feet. And we think about it, let's just ingenuine. How would you like to go into battle and you don't have any shoes on? Now, I can't even hardly walk across the living room floor at night without shoes on. I just don't do barefoot. I don't do, bare, I don't do it in the sand. I don't do it if, if I was on the beach. I, can't, I just can't do it. I cannot do it. You, and I'm looking. You, you think I'm really weird, don't you? What, you're the same way. Thank you. There's at least one other person here. But, but now think of it if you're going into battle. You're going into war. I'm going to go barefoot. I'm going to go with, what's those? Flip-flops, right? That's another, I can't do the flip-flop thing. You're just weird. You know, that thing, it's between your toe. It's just, ah! So don't buy me flip-flops for Christmas. That's the bottom line, right? Okay? But, but the point of the matter is, how many would you take flip-flops to battle? Now, I do know that my daughter is sitting in the back, Lorinda, will go work cows in flip-flops. And I'm like, you're crazy, right? You get the steel-toed flip-flops. <laughs> Don't make those bad boys, do they? Okay, but, but let's get serious for a moment now. What, now he's, so obviously the covering on your feet, not only the covering your feet. See, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm just thinking of covering the feet. It's more than that. Let's go back to an athletic game. You've got to have the right shoe for the right sport on the right day. Correct? You got the wrong shoe. In other words, you take, you take a, a basketball sneaker and you're going to go play football on a muddy, you're done. You're done, aren't you? So you got to have the, in fact, uh, you have to have cleats. And sometimes it's short cleats, sometimes it's long. You see, you're fitting the condition. And why? Why is that important? To keep your traction. Exactly. Keeps your track and keeps your balance. Because you want to be able to maneuver and to do whatever it is that you need to do to, again, stand firm against the onslaught of Satan. So now what they do is they're saying, or what Paul is saying, it, to be shod or have shoes that have the, gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? The gospel of peace. Well, what happens to you when you got saved? Now, again, this is, this is all instructions. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, just hang on. We're gonna, we're gonna, just, you've got to just listen because none of this is for you. Because so far, everything we've said is to a Christian. But now if you have the, the, the shoes that are on the preparation of the gospel of peace. What's the gospel? Good news, right? It's good news. What's the good news? Christ died for us. And he whooped it. He whipped sin. Now, I will say, I'll say it again. If he was still laying in state, if they had Jesus in his tomb, I'm out. I'm done. Because that's what I need. I, it doesn't take too long. I don't know how old I was. But when I saw that there's no, when, when, when there's death, and they don't wake up again, that's a problem. That's the problem that we have, isn't it? I was listening. Uh, no, that's, that's another. I can't get down there. But anyway, that's one of the things that a lot of people fear immensely is death. They can't fix it. And some people just put it out of their mind. That's why we have all kinds of addictions that literally fog that. Alcohol, drugs, many things. And it, could, it, can, it can also cover pain. But the things that we can't make go away are the things we try to cover up. And that's why there are addictions, literally. Because you can't deal with truth. But literally now, if you think about it, death is the one we can't, we can't get. 
You can't get it. You can't fix it. You can't fix it, except Jesus did. Now, the gospel, the good news is that Christ died for you and he rose again. And he's sitting at the right hand of God and he's literally looking out for you if you've trusted him as Savior. If you trust Jesus Christ for your sin problem and you repent of your sin, guess what? I got great news. You are now at peace with God. I mean, that's awesome. And if, and if you aren't, you're an enmity. You're actually doing war against God. I'm not in a war with God. Yes, you are if you don't have him. It's just it's one, there's one side or the other. There's only two people in this world, and they both need Jesus. One's figured it out. One hasn't. The gospel of peace. Guess what happens? When you have the gospel of peace, it gives you so much stability knowing that you are in Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? You're in a war, and you don't have Jesus. I mean, to know that Jesus Christ has died for you, and that he saved you, you got nothing. The peace gives you so much stability. That verse in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, I believe it is. Let's go there for a moment. This is a powerful verse. It was one that changed my life. Uh, let's go to Romans. Hold your spot. Man, you're saying, you, Larry, that food is smelling good. You've got to hurry. You've got to hurry. Well, just stay with me. Hurry with me. Hurry with me. My dad had a saying when he get home really late at night, and we had to get up early the next morning. You know what he said? He said, let's go home and sleep fast. <laughs> what? Romans chapter 8, let's, let's learn fast. It says in verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, beyond that, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Do you see? No one's getting left behind. What do you mean justified? What does justified mean? Just as if we'd never sinned, to be declared not guilty. Now watch carefully. It says, all of those that were justified, those he also glorified. Nobody's left behind. God does his work. He's purchased the possessions. It's on board. That gives us what? Peace. peace. Oh, that's rich peace, isn't it? Amen. That's rich peace. Now, again, that doesn't mean there, there is the peace with God. That's what we're talking about right here. That's the sense that gives us security. That's the sense that gives us strong stability. But there's also the sense that day-by-day thing when we're sanctified in that process is the sense that we also have to have the peace of God. And that's a day-by-day thing. Because we can have, if, again, if you're not dwelling in righteousness, if you're not actively staying away from sin, the first thing that leaves you is joy and your peace. Because the peace of God is what you will... And you know what? Life is a bummer then, isn't it? Oh, you know, you know, you don't want to even run. It's like the guy sat down on the ground. I don't feel like running today. You'll feel like not work. You're, you're going to feel like not being in the game. The peace. The peace. Let's go on. And, and you know, literally, there's something that, that, that takes place here too. I've never thought of it. I wrote it down today. Maybe it's not pertinent right here, but it is. Uh, overall, in the sense of, you know what? God is your defender. I love that. I just, it just hit me today and I wrote it down. God is my defender. Isn't that rich? How bad can it get for you? Not very bad if you know that God is my defender. Oh, that, that, there's something about that that really satisfies us, as it should. Let's keep going. We're doing good. Now we're going to go on to number four, and we find that. In verse 16. Now watch what he says. Above all, this is really important. Pay attention, folks. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now tell me about your shield. 
Okay, let's go back to our Roman soldier. What's, uh, let's, let's talk about his shield. Do you know how big it is? I heard uh, shield of... Uh, you've noticed I can't write and think. And this isn't writing very good anyway. I need a new one, don't I, Tony? Shield of faith. How big is your... Or, or, here's, our, here's our Roman guy. He's a little taller than me. I'm not very tall. I'm kind of height challenged. Okay. So how big is his shield? Big enough to get behind. What's that? Big enough to hide. Big enough to get behind. So we're probably talking... Probably about a four foot by two and a half foot wide. Okay? You can do pretty good there. You can hide pretty good. Now, actually, they'd have them so they would interlock. The front lines of, a, of an engage. Now, again, we're not talking about advancing, but I just want to get in your mind how, how, how important the shield. He says, above all, above all, really pay attention here. The shield of faith. What they would do on the advancing line is they had them so they would actually interlock. And these men, each one of them could put their shields together and they could just go right against, right up against the enemy. And there wasn't, because they would shoot arrows. They would, now, granted, I think when we moved to guns, it wasn't as effective. <laughs> okay? You understand? So we moved in a whole other thing and mankind has always come up with something new. But the point of the matter was when we had flaming arrows, made all of these things that you could launch just, you know, from the sense of hand power. That advancing shield thing was amazing, wasn't it? Until you'd be right on them, you unlock and you go to work. What was the purpose of the, of the shield? What was the shield to do? Protect from the arrows, the darts, those things that would be coming from a distance. And you know what? You had to have it in place, didn't you? You know, you just went, oh, how you doing? Well, I was going to say Barney, but whatever. Barney, how you doing today? Oh, pretty good, you know. Yeah, we're going on. Well, you don't have your shield up. You're done. Take one. Oh, what are we doing here? Oh, right? The shield, and what, what is Satan trying to do? Let's go spiritually now. What is he trying to do? Fiery darts of what? Doubt. 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 That's what he is always after, is trying to get you to doubt God's goodness, his protection, or that he loves you. Almost every single thing that he throws at you, every temptation, it wraps itself around in the sense of doubt. And that fiery dart of doubt is so effective if we're not careful we lose everything in the sense of perspective his lies he's full of deceit who do we believe when you don't have the shield of faith what is faith what is faith shield of faith what is faith oh i just believe stuff i can't see what is faith Let's go to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. God tells us, let's, and God tells us how important it is. God tells us how important it is. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. And let's look at, you know what, it seems incredibly hot in here. Um, I don't know if it's just me because I'm roaming around here, but uh, Hebrews chapter, now, now that I said that, everybody's melting into a puddle. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and let's look at verse 6. Actually, before we do that, let's go to verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Are you ready? Here we go. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not, the evidence of things not seen. Now, watch verse 6. How important is it? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, being God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, and then it goes through that whole chapter, chapter 11. How many of those guys there knew about Jesus Christ? None of them. None of them did. They were in Old Testament times. What were they trusting then? They were trusting what God told them. Abram. I mean, there's a man of faith. I'm going to tell you something. That guy is a man of faith. God comes to him and says, uh, I want you to leave the country where your family's from, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. No, no, I'm not going to tell you where it's at. You just follow me, and I'll tell you where, and I'll show you where it's at. About 900, you do the math, you, and I don't know anybody, a little wandering, probably 900 miles. That wasn't like picking up on the nearest commuter train and taking off. It wasn't getting in a jet. It wasn't taking a truck. It was like the long way. 900 miles. How about, let's go, how about 450 in? Waking up one morning with Sarah. Do you think yet? we really know what we're doing here? Are we there, <laughs> Are we there yet? <laughs> yeah, isn't that perfect? Little, how many of you had little kids in the car? Are we there yet? Six miles after you left, you got a thousand left. Are we there yet? I mean, our kids did that to a, right? That's why we drove, we started in the middle of the night. So a lot of it, are we there yet? Wasn't there yet, right? But let's think about it. Abram and Sarah, are we there yet? And then when he got there, God said, this is there. And then God told him, you know what? I'm going to make you a nation like none other. You're going to have more descendants than is like stars of the sky or sand of the sea. And they're like, whoa, that's pretty amazing. And then for the next 25 years, you guys remember what's going on? Let's go 25 years back. Let's go back 25 years. This is what, 2019? Let's just say it's 2020, make our math easy, so that's 1995. So let's say it would be 1996 to 2019. Do you guys know what you were doing in 1996? What's that? You were four, okay. David? High school. High school, okay. I don't remember a thing about it, to be honest, other than it's a long time ago. And now if somebody would have told me in 1996 something was going to happen in my mind, and I would be waiting. That's what they did. They waited and trusted for 25 years. And nothing happened, literally, in that sense of the unfolding of that trust. For 25 years, literally nothing but mistakes happened. Finally, Sarah, oh, this is ridiculous. Abram, you're never going to have, I mean, this isn't going to happen. Let's, he's, he's wanting us to think about this. Let's be proactive. You know, we, you drug us down to Egypt. He nearly got me killed. And we got this handmaiden. Her name is Hagar. I think you just, let's have a child using her as the surrogate. And that will be how God can work it. I mean, it sounds plausible, doesn't it? And Abraham said, Okay. And, of course, you know what happened. Hagar has a son. She looks down her nose at Sarah, and Sarah says, Abram, get rid of her. It's your fault. Right? Now, what, where is God in all of this? Oh, my people, you weren't trusting me. There was no faith exhibited, right? For those 25 years, that's what God wanted. He wanted to exercise their faith to get it strong enough. And you know what? It eventually worked because when Isaac was a teenager... And God sent him on a mission to sacrifice him. I'm telling you, Abram was so ready. It was amazing. He got it. He said, I'm trusting what God told me as being true. And I'm excited to know whatever it is he does, I can trust him. That's what I'm talking about in faith. And when you have that kind of faith, guess what? Satan can throw any fiery dart of doubt against you and it will be extinguished. Because faith has the ability to do that. Don't forget it.
Isn't that cool? I love Hebrews chapter 11. It's so rich with these guys that didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. I feel so blessed to be on this side of Calvary. I don't know why Calvary was on the left side of where I'm at, but I'm just assuming it is. It would be your right. But at the point of the matter, aren't we blessed to know that Jesus lived and died and actually split time A.D. and B.C.? Isn't that awesome? Ah, how would I have had none in the Old Testament? I don't know. Let's keep going. All right. We're closing in. You say, well, thankfully. Let's go to to the next one. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And here we go. Let's look at the next one. Helmet of salvation. We find it in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Oops, went too far. Helmet of salvation. What do you know about a helmet? Protects your head. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of, I mean, th- this is where the, this is where everything is important, right? And again, we got these guys flailing around with this four-foot sword. Can't take one on the noggin, right? Again, do you see the stability of the salvation? Your salvation? How important that is for your security? For you to be able to ward off those, those, those incoming assaults? Huge. Just Huge. In fact, let's go to 1 Thessalonians for a moment. Hold your place. We'll be right back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. Now, what he's talking about, if you follow the letter of, Thess- of, the, of the letter to Thessalonica, was they were very concerned about the fact that the rapture had taken place and those that were dying, they just didn't know what was going to happen. They, they, they really lost some of their confidence. And Paul has written to, to build them up, to encourage them. In verse 6, he starts off, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as others do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, verse 8, watch, who are of the day be sober. You find some of those same words. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. What? Did you see that? And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the security of salvation there? You're not appointed. I love verse 9. I mean, isn't that awesome? Oh, that is so good. We're, you don't have to go through any wrath. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation those who are in Christ Jesus. And I say, praise God. Awesome. No more. It's done. It's over. Ah, I'm excited. You guys aren't quite as excited as I am, but that's okay. I'll give you time. I'll give you time. Doubt and insecurity will steal from you, and that's the worst thing that can happen to your mind. That's a continual assault. John 10.10, we've already talked about that, that he's wanting to steal and destroy, to create anxiety and to steal the sense of your usefulness for God. He's an accuser of the brethren. We've already went into... Actually, let's go to Romans chapter 8 for just a second. Romans chapter 8. Again, I love how this is worded. Probably became more to me in the last year or two in the sense of understanding what it's really saying. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and he act, well, let, let's back up just a little bit. Look at verse 35. He says, Paul, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? And I'm, we can break those all down. It's pretty wretched. It's pretty wild. It's over the top. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Sounds pretty discouraging. There's nothing. Is it? What's the question? He answers in verse 30. No. In all of these things... We are more than conquerors. How, how do you like to be described that way? How are you, did you win? I was more than a conqueror. 
Don't you love it? That's what God said. You're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 on our way back. Romans chapter 16 verse 20 says this. And the God of peace shall bruise or crush. That's the word it actually is. Crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Ah, isn't that a wonderful way to... (laughs) Jesus has got him under his foot. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Talk about winning. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. If you guys aren't pumped up after this sermon, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm worried about you. Hebrews chapter 2, and let's look at verse 14. For as much then as children, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Ah, we win. We win. There's one left. And you say, well, good grief, one left. Let's go back to Ephesians and let's find it. I heard a pastor say that uh, there's a lot of Christians that all they're wearing is their helmet. And they're going out in the world. Yeah. And they have nothing else on but their helmet. Exactly. Did you guys hear what Ernie said? That that some or a pastor had said that some some Christians are going out into the world with just a helmet on. Are you vulnerable? Woo! Uh, right? Yeah. Scary thought. And then they wonder why Satan is winning. Yeah. Why is he destroying? Why is he defeating you? Why is he? Do you see what I'm saying? You got to put on every piece of that armor, not just some. He says it numerous times. Put it all on. Now here we. So far we've 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 equipped. This Roman soldier, he's got his, we'll start, he's got his helmet on, he's got his breastplate on, he's got his belt on, he's holding it all together. I like that, holding it all together. What else he got on? He's got his shoes on. So far, he's pretty well equipped, isn't he? And his, that's right, he's got his shield. He can ward off those darts, those incomers, those incoming. And, if, and I'm telling you, that one there, as he says, above all. Paul says, above all, I'm saying as well. This is really, really important. That, those incoming flaming arrows of dart, darts that are coming into you, if you don't have your faith shield up there, and again, getting in the Word, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Man, I'll tell you, it'll take your world for a wrap. It'll take it for a wrap. But now we have the one thing. So, so he's standing firm. And he's just holding him. But you know what? There's one offensive weapon. One he can do business with. Now there are two words. Let's, let's, go, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6. This will be our last one. It says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. Now there's a word. Uh, I don't really know. Actually, I'm, let me check the spelling again. In the Greek, I've been telling you about this four-foot sword, Right? So you guys can take a shot at it. Romphia, you okay with that? Let's call it a romphia. That would be the Greek word for a four-foot sword that would take two hands to yield it around. I mean, this isn't one that you just, you know, oh, you know you're, you're, you're going for it. You're just waving it around. Okay? Now, do you think that? Now, he said the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's one sword we just described. This is the four-footer. So you think this is the one that he's got in mind? Now, you'd think some people do. They take their Bible and they approach every system, every situation, and they just wave the Bible at it. Kill that fly. And you're wondering, what in the world are you doing, Larry, right? You know what? That is not the word that's used. 
Actually, the word that's used is one that would be more for a dagger at 8 to 12 inch, and it's very precise, very determined on where it's going to be placed. And that word is... Actually, let me look. <laughs> See how I spelled it. Yeah, there. It is. I almost, I almost gave you false information. So I'm going to go with machera. You okay with that? That's the eight to twelve inch dagger. Now think about that. That's one that you would yield and very precisely place. It's done for a specific place and done very accurately. That's the word that Paul uses. Now, since I lost my place because I was waving my Romphia around, right? Let's go back. Romphia. Um, those of you that are listening by tape, I didn't check the pronunciation on the Greek term, so I apologize. But you can do your own homework. How's that? Ephesians chapter 6, and let's take a look. There's something else that's very impressive about what Paul says here. Let's go back to our text. It says, The sword of the Spirit, the machera, the dagger of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, what word do you think you'd use for the Word of God? If you find the Word of God in John, you'll find the word called logos. That's the Word of God. Okay? That would be, again, if you're thinking about it, let's, 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 do, the, let's do the... So the, if this was the romphia, the big sword... And the Logos, we would be waving the Bible around and trying to kill our, our, you know what I'm saying? Neither one of those terms are right. The word that's used for the word of God is rhema. Rhema. That is R-H. Oops. You know when you combine an R and an H, it doesn't look right. R-H-E-M-A. Rhema. What is a rhema? It's a very specific statement. It's something that's designed exactly for the situation. Let me tell you, let me give you an example of that. Here's Jesus Christ being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. What did he use? He took the scroll and he just beat Satan to death. I should be laughing. I thought it was pretty good, but no, no. There we go. Now you're loosening up. Okay. That is not what he did. What did he do? He used a rhema. He used a very specific verse that applied exactly to what the temptation was. That is exactly what Paul is saying for us to do. Know your Bible. Be able to take in context the verse that is very accurately can be used as a dagger against that particular temptation that has come into you. That is very, very important. It's amazing, isn't that, doesn't that make it a lot clearer to you? It's really cool. It's really cool. Now, let's go to, uh, for instance, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Whoops. Now I put my Bible. I've been flailing around. It's all upside down to me now. So we'll get it turned around. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Again, a passage. If you've been here very long, this is one that you need to know. You need to quote. And you need to have around you. Because as those fiery darts come in, those temptations, know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, as it says in verse 12. We're going to start there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Pride will get you in more trouble than you can imagine. And then it says this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. That is a promise that you need to implement. 
And you know, one of the things that you do is you continually consume the Word of God. When you're, when you're using it in the Holy Spirit, you know what? Just at that time, there's going to be that nugget. When that temptation... I'm not going to say that you're going to listen, but it's going to be there. And you know what? It's amazing how loud it is after the fact if we choose sin. Oh, that was what I wasn't listening for, right? That is a beautiful promise. That is a beautiful promise, but I'll tell you how it's really even made stronger is when you take the Word of God and you make it rhema. Because when those incomers come, you've got, the, you've got just what you need to ward off what Satan is throwing at you. I'm here to say that that strength, that protection, those things that sometimes are overwhelming in the sense of when you just take a step back and you look at the big picture, but they're all yours... When you are in, let's go back to verse 10 of Ephesians. Let's look at it again. That's where we'll close. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Really, really the key in the sense of saying, whoops, I went right through where I was supposed to be. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And when you're doing that, victory is yours. Being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. What a thing for us to be praising. I did say, just, just briefly, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ personally, all the things that we talked about really aren't yours, right? They, they haven't been, but I'm here to say they can be. These things can be yours because Jesus Christ died for you. He gave himself, he gave himself, God, God the, God the Son gave his life so that we as sinners could become sons of his. All of these, I say flippantly, these accessories, these packages, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, all of those things, they're yours when you trust Christ as your Savior. Now, there's really two options. You either trust yourself. That's literally, it's the only other option. You've either trusted money, you've trusted fame, you've trusted power, you've trusted anything. Anything other than Jesus Christ is really trusting in yourself. You think that can get you through. But if you choose to repent of that sin, of which we're all sinners, we're all under the wages of sin is death. When you acknowledge that and you really say, Lord Jesus, I can't, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. There's not enough in me. When you come to that point in your life, and that's humility, isn't it? Saying what it is. Just let it all hang out. Let truth be truth. And when you accept Jesus Christ, I trust you as my Savior. I trust you with everything I know. Something miraculous changes because of the power that was, was given through the redemption of what Jesus Christ died for. He bought you. There's not a sin that he didn't pay for on Calvary's tree. And when he rose from the dead, that's when I got, it. That's when I got excited because he whipped death. And if you want to make that, and you could do it in the quietness of your heart, when you literally just succumb to Jesus Christ pleading, I'm here for you, I want you, I've died for you, then guess what? These same things we talked about can be yours as well. And that's the power of God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the moments that we've had today. We thank you that literally we know that along these lines that you are actively conforming us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. You want us to be more and more like him. Thank you, Father, that you started that work in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And you're not going to stop until you finished it, even to the day of our redemption. And that means our glorification, the day where we will stand in heaven. Father, there's so many things that we can't even imagine yet. We're on the wrong side of glory, if you will, for us to, to really, what should I say, to appreciate what you have accomplished. 
as we just dwell in that moment for a second. But you've done it for us. Even when we were sinners, you chose to use Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Even before you made anything, according to Ephesians chapter 1. How could we ever be more thankful? Father, we thank you for what you've accomplished. Thank you that Jesus Christ's death was once and once for all. He handled it. It was finished, completed. When we're in Jesus Christ, we're safe. We're safe in the grace, your riches at Christ's expense. Father, but at the same time, you want us to be more like you and, your, and more like your son. And this week that we're going to be venturing upon, each one of these precious ones that are gathered here today, Father, are on a journey that you have specifically for them. They will see and touch people's lives that only they are destined to do. Father, may their example, may their testimony, may their words of encouragement ring true because of the Jesus that they honor and that they worship and they live for. Father, I would ask that men and women and children across these county, across this county, our state, our nation, this week would come to know Jesus Christ personally. There's nothing stronger or better that could ever happen to them on any front. What will you do with Jesus? Father, thank you for making grace so available. There wasn't anyone you didn't die for. Father, we just trust you with these. We trust you with our future. We trust you, Father, with our nation. We think of it as well. We think of our men and women that have laid their lives on the line to accomplish the freedom that we enjoy. May we not take that for granted either. But, Father, above all, we thank you for granting the freedom that you've given to the United States of America for all of these in excess of 200 years. But, Father, as we've turned our back on you, I fear for our future. And Father, may our hearts be turned. Just as Jonas preached to those in Nineveh, they heard the message and they repented. Father, as the message goes out from your word, may our leaders, and community leaders, county leaders, Father, in every place in this country, may they turn to you. May they humble themselves. You are there listening, putting your arms out, wanting to hear those words. Father, we trust all of this with you, knowing there's no safer place to be than in your arms. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.